0: I don't know, I'm laughing. I do. I know exactly why you (laughs) are The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson, Richard James, and Chris (laughs) Dale
1: Oh hello What was what was what was (laughs) that? Well
0: well, that was my Alan Carr impression that you said oh, I should do. Oh, of course. Uh, you'll only know that if you watched the very end of the last podcast. If yeah. you didn't, then... If you
1: don't, then you just think Richard's having a bit of a funny turn. <laughs> anyway, that'll do. I think I'll leave it there. Yes. But it was quite good, wasn't it? Adding to the in- incredible roster of impressions which you've um, blessed us with on the Jerry Anderson podcast. <laughs> incredible roster. That was uh, 1974 John Pertwee's story, wasn't it? <laughs> incredible roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right.
0: Uh, anyway, uh, enough of that. Jerry Anderson podcast, <laughs>
1: Richard James... Jamie Anderson. Chris, Chris Dale. Dale. Hi, guys. hi, guys. Oh, hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Uh, yeah, I, there I is. felt compelled to say the same as him there. I almost went, hi, guys. I know. Ding it, dong. It, it, hi, guy. Yeah. Yeah, ding dong. Absolutely. <laughs> um, this is all getting a bit weird. It is. Uh, Pod
0: 295, we're here to celebrate all things Anderson and yes. to also celebrate the wonderful Podstrons.
1: Well, mostly that.
0: Yes, we do celebrate them because they're a wonderful group of people who very often get in touch at jerryanderson.com. We'll be reading out some of their emails later in a section that we like to call... The voice of the Podstron. You did the
1: voiceover for that, didn't you, when you had a cold? A long time ago, yes. I quite enjoy that. I mean, I've got lots of recordings on my phone of me in the bathroom doing um, Mr. On voices when I have got a cold it's a bit weird isn't it anyway should yeah. we move on yeah I think
0: we ought to uh, because we've also got Fab Facts coming up yes we've got the second part of Chris Dale's interview with mm. David K Barnes yes. podcaster extraordinaire yes uh, and we've got uh, wonderful Podstrons. Yep. I think we've got some um, comments from our Facebook group as well facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Podstorons yeah
1: Podstorons
0: that's right excellent uh, be reading all of those out later
1: do we have any Podstrons called Ron
0: uh, I would hope so it'd be fun
1: wouldn't it yeah do oh, Are you that post, Ron? 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 Do email us. <laughs> do uh, Ron Ron. Oh, dear. I don't no. know what's going on. Shall we move on? Yes, Ron. Brilliant. Let's move on, Ron. Let's do a Fab Fact. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Fab Fact. Yes. Uh, which comes from the book of Fab, fab Facts. Fact. Uh, where I flick through, you shout Fab. Fab. And then I read the Fab, fab Fact. Fact. Is that right? Yeah. Ready for a Fab sure. Fact? Sure. Here we go. All right.
0: Fab. Hey.
1: Oh. 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 Just a minute. No, no, it's good because I flicked over the it was a second page of the I fan see. facts.
0: Oh, it's quite a long one, is it?
1: No, no, it's, it's just two pages. Oh, so. I see. In fact, it's not even that, it's one and a bit. Okay. The book of fan facts says thusly. right. Richard. <laughs> Say it again. How's it?
0: it How does it know who I am? It's really because spooky. The author
1: knows who you, anyway. Richard. Yes, but this Illustrious Tome of Fan Facts, it's now referring to itself, that's weird, <laughs> uh, is used to shining a spotlight on some unsung heroes of the Anderson world. But today, yes. that spotlight is going to come to a rest on a company. Oh, mm. right. FX Supremo Derek Meddings is a familiar name to us all from his work on Dad's many Super Mario Nation and live action shows. Too but right. Even he. Along with designer Reg Hill Needed to resort to a little outsourcing now and then Oh yeah Mm. One such occasion happened during the pre-production of 1963's Stingray 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 Da 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 -da. Yeah The titular craft was, as we all know The what? The titular craft Oh I see,
0: yeah
1: As we all know Yes was a nuclear powered combat submarine, the flagship of the World Aquanaut Security Patrol. True enough. WASP. Yeah. But who should be trusted with building such an iconic model? Go on. I thought you might guess.
0: Well, 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 who should be entrusted to building a model of Stingray? Yeah. Me. No, not oh.
1: you. Well, I don't know. It no, could be anybody. it was, in fact, Master Models of Feltham. Oh, <laughs> right. That's who, who <laughs> oh, you. I
0: see. I should have got that.
1: Yeah. Pattern. Master Models is a family-owned business that still operates today with a team of 20 model makers, tool makers, pattern makers, 3D designers and artists, ah. to name a few. Yes. According to their website... They have been making expertly crafted models and prototypes for 50 years. The company has its roots back in the 1960s when it established its reputation making models for the now classic Stingray, Uh Thunderbirds Uh and Joe 90 television series. The now
0: classic Joe 90.
1: Well, Yeah. yeah. No, Now classic Stingray and Thunderbirds. And Joe, and, Joe 19, right. yeah. uh, and since this podcast has strayed into the realms of video, what the book even knows that? Yeah, it, it's very good, uh, isn't it? This seems like a fitting time to have our first video fab fact, right? With some footage from the company itself showing their production line in operation in 1968. Oh, should we take a look? Yes, let's take a look.
2: Futuristic stuff, too. The AGM company also makes the ingenious space vehicles for TV's Thunderbird
0: series and other puppetry adventures. Real working models which can fly between planets and dive below the sea. Well, on film, anyway. Yay. Well, on film anyway. Yeah, on film anyway. I like the way that it said uh, Thunderbirds and
1: and other uh, other shows.
0: He's well. quite right yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Interesting. Well, if you didn't see the video version because you're listening to the podcast, yeah. in that we saw Thunderbirds four and three as well as Joe 90's Jet Car. Yes. Uh, you can see the full clip on their website, mastermodels.co.uk. Another example of Dad's work and imagination providing gainful employment to people in the local area.
0: <laughs> Something oh, like good. that? That's good. It's like What's a that? Pathé News uh, voiceover. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. You're multi-talented, you. aren't you? Well, I can do uh, two things. talented Mono-talented. Mono, micro. <laughs> Na, pico-talented. <laughs> yes. Very good. No, but that is true, isn't it? We tend to think of uh, you know the, the teams that surrounded. Jerry Anderson in the shows that he made, but
1: you know, you've got to know when to pass it out to somebody else to to do the best possible
0: job. Yes, and Master Models of Felton
1: still going, so I'm sure they were very
0: happy for the work.
1: Yeah, nice, good. That was really nice. It was good, wasn't it? Lovely to see a bit of um, of that old work, and especially seeing the video in colour. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Can you imagine also working on those things? But also nice to see them hanging around for a year. I mean, 1968, I think that film was. Yeah. So uh, and they still had uh, you know a couple of Thunderbirds knocking about,
1: craft knocking about, still lingering. And Pardon? still lingering today, Pardon? lingering right today. Yes, yes, good. Anyway, there we are. Good. Uh, that's that's it, really, isn't it? Anything yeah. else to add? No. Quick okay. one. Well, yes. Then that brings us yes. to the end of, of this week's yes. model fact. Ah, yeah. oh. you see, you look panicked, but it
0: all worked out well in the end. It was a
1: very powerful sense of yeah. panic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, uh, having done that, yes, uh, I'm just trying to segue into the next section. Right people who make things use their hands, yep. like model workshops and so on. Right. Other people, notably our Podstrons, use their hands to get in touch with us at podcast.jerryanderson.com. Would you like to see the fruits of their labours?
1: <laughs> yes. That was an amazing segue. I'm so <laughs> wowed by that. So let's
0: open the door and let the Podstrons shall we? Okay.
3: This is the voice of the Podstrons.
0: Late Happy New Year, boys, says Stephen Watson.
1: What, what time do you call this? Yeah, it's very late. Yeah, I know. Uh,
0: last week, I finished watching all of the Stingray episodes on Britbox. Ah, very good. Despite having a model of Stingray to play with in my bath back in 1964...
1: That's the second Stingray bath thing I've heard in the last 24 hours. Isn't that weird? <sighs>
0: I have no recollection of watching the series on TV at all. A year or so back, I bought the TV21 Blu-ray disc, which had the Stingray episode Titan Goes Pop on it, and I thought it was one of the best things I'd seen in ages. Hmm. So, a few months back, I decided to work my way through the Strangely
1: Ordered series on BritBox. Uh, I bet Christelle's got some thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I definitely enjoyed it, but found the episodes very inconsistent, with far too many being of the some bad people for unexplained reasons want to destroy Stingray or Marineville, so we will blow them up the
1: end. Well, that's, that's what life is. It's simple like that. <laughs> right, okay. Well, uh, what made it worth
0: it were many excellent episodes. Titan Goes Pop being my favourite. Uh, the scriptwriters tapped into the crazy 60s zeitgeist in a way that Thunderbirds only one year later never did. Mm. Uh, the dream episode with the shrunken Stingray, Troy becoming an emperor and having Atlanta peel his grapes. The creepy episode with everyone being bumped off in Marineville. The wordplay of the two El Hudat episodes and its wonderful details, Hudatvia on the map being just one, in the episodes were a treat. And of course the endless disguises and devious ideas of Agent X20 are a joy what I found remarkable, though, was the leap in the quality of set props and puppets just a year later on Thunderbirds. Watching Path of Destruction on last week's Randomizer brought that home forcefully. Uh, Derek Meddings and his team were clearly upping their game at quite a pace. Enjoyable stuff, and I'd encourage any Anderson fan to watch them if they've not seen them yet. All the best, Stephen Watson. Well, this is the year for it, isn't it? The 60th anniversary yeah. of the Stingray. Time Why to not? go and
1: revisit Stingray. Absolutely.
0: It's either that in or what, Wait till the 70th. Yeah. I don't
1: think you have to wait for oh, like, any anniversary, particularly uh, oh. not attempt to watch oh, something.
0: Ah, oh, right. Fine. Got you.
1: But yeah, do it. Fair enough. Uh, Steve, again. Oh, yes. He's here every week.
0: Yeah, that's a he's, different Steve, I think, isn't
1: it? This is Steve with two E's. Uh, Steve Bushell. Yeah. Yeah. He was here last week, was Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Steve. Yeah. Anyway, Steve says... Hi, guys. Hi, Steve. With jazz hands, he says, imagine my disappointment that I wasn't able to find any of you on this website cameo. (laughs) Do you know Cameo? I do know Cameo. Steve explains it's a site where you can ask celebrities for a personal message like birthday wishes. Yeah. Maybe you're not in the one pound category and I should have looked in the higher price brackets. (laughs) No. Uh, But seriously, you three should look into it. Wishing you a prosperous new year. Prosperous indeed. Well, wow, that'd be nice, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, we're not on Cameo. Have no. You, have you considered being on Cameo? In my darkest hour, i thought about it. Yeah.
0: I think I might even have signed up for it once or twice. Really? And then unsubscribed. Because it's just like, what, who,
1: yes, one why? step away from OnlyFans, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Which I
0: have... Subs- no. Uh, hello, Jamie, Richard and Chris, uh, <laughs> says Rodney J. Kelly. I have heard Podstron's inquire about the timeline of the Jerry Anderson universe.
1: Oh, not this old test. again. Ready for this? Again? Yes.
0: When I tried to put together my own timeline, I found that Space 1999 mucked the whole thing up. Well, I think we can all agree there. The series that took place after September 13th, 1999 usually had an episode that took place on the moon. And this led me to the conclusion that Space 1999, and by default UFO, did not take place in the Anderson universe. What? It's my opinion that Space 1999 took place in the Blade Runner Alien universe. Here's my reasoning. Okay. All right? Don't Standing poo-poo by. it yet. Poo-poo it later. Standing by for poo-poo. First, in the canon films, at least the ones I've seen, not only is the moon not shown Ooh, in either okay. Blade Runner or Alien, I okay. guess, but none of the characters talked about. So, no one in Blade Runner talks about characters from Space 1999. Right. Okay. In these storylines, the moon would have been a major source of raw materials. Furthermore, the loss of the moon could have been a contributing factor to the environmental breakdown shown in Blade Runner. OK. It is also appropriate that the explosion that pushed the moon out of orbit was due to an industrial accident. I haven't played the alien-based computer games, and there are two alien programs currently in production, so I don't know if these will fit in with my conclusion. Thanks for your time, Rodney <clears throat> J.
1: Kelly. Well, I, that wasn't a bad explanation. I so like I, it. I will withhold my poo-pooing. Right. Um... And, Not and, for too long, I would hope. No, it's very no, no. bad but, for you. But for now, I will I will say that that's an interesting <laughs> okay. theorem. Hold the poo-poo. Yes. No. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Great.
0: Yeah, no, I do like it. I particularly like the fact that he reasons uh, that because no one in Blade Runner mentions people from Space 1999, it must be part of that universe. But, no, but,
1: does, but, uh, yeah. Did, mm-hmm. but does he actually mean, but none of the characters talked about it, as in the moon? Is that what he actually Not means?
0: them, as in the characters. No, that's none of the characters talked about not only is the moon not shown but none of the characters talked about it It. I see but they don't mention Commander Koenig either and the reason
1: they don't mention him (laughs) is
0: because he's gone
1: that fits does that make it fit I'm there yeah I I feel the poo poo coming again so I'm not sure but thank you Rodney for your thoughts it's appreciated
0: (laughs) yes all for now thankfully Uh, but do keep them coming in podcast at jerryannson.com because I've no doubt we'll read them next time Jamie's poo poo notwithstanding yeah uh Rodney J. Kelly has reminded me, a little initial in the middle of his name there. Oh. That seems to be all the rage.
1: Yes, because Rodney J. Kelly is just one step from Rodney K. Jelly, Uh, uh, and thereby introducing the K as the interstitial initial uh, that we have in David K. Barnes. (sighs) Here's David K. Barnes. Hmm, okay.
4: David is an award-winning writer of scripted comedy and drama and creator of the critically acclaimed podcast sitcom Wooden Overcoats. As a scriptwriter and series consultant, his credits include productions for Audible, Big Finish Productions, BBC Sounds, Hat Trick Productions, and ITN. He likes quirky comedy, fancy cakes, lots of velvet, and of course, all things Anderson. It's David K. Barnes!
2: (laughs) What are you doing here again? What am I doing here? Well, having a nice little chat with you Fair enough that's Ray. fine
4: that's our first question of-
2: <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about all things jerry anderson particularly the thunderbirds and captain scarlet and special effects and music and, and brains and that horrible scene where he was buried in the desert oh, up to his no. neck that's yes. traumatising television for children that
4: is it? indeed and, it it is and that has trailer. been one of uh, that has been played on the podcast before someone saying, mentioned that as one of their the, the two things memories. in the
2: episode 1 brains up to there and then the professor looks exactly like Des Lynam. yes and then he gets like beaten up <laughs> and I go oh my god the hood's just beaten up Des Lynham it's terrible there's yeah. a reference of the kids
4: <laughs> <laughs> anywho uh, speaking of old clips though we yes. are going to open this episode with uh, another clip from yeah. Thunderbirds uh, and it's going to be a clip that people are familiar with oh, but you. it's from one of your favourite episodes oh. from one of everyone's favourite yeah. episodes yeah. let's roll a clip from Trapped it in the Sky
3: oh. Ooh.
4: Effects, yeah,
2: all so life. much, and this horrible screeching is going to come up. Yeah,
1: here.
4: and one of those moments where, as you said, it keeps building and building, building and the and
2: tension. Because that's it, it starts. We're nearly burn. at the line. We're well, not gonna we're make reach. it we're running out of runway. Look at that, swerving about all over the place. It's just it's incredible, incredible isn't
4: it? stuff. Even now,
2: it's just yeah. That's the thing which, when you watching that for the first time, you go, okay, yes, the, yeah. The plane lands on some buggies. I mean, who wrote that in the first place? When, yeah, the plane should land on some buggies. That's that's the plot of this script, and they made it, and it's amazing. And the fact that, of course, you know, we had the bit earlier where uh, uh, one of those buggies sort of goes off the runway and, ex- and it explodes, and then the fireflash has to fly off again, and it comes mm. back. You got the buggies, and then, of course. The as they they break and again this is the terrific model work going on and the attention to detail the they start to really they screech they start to get all oily they start to explode they look absolutely knackered like this is like really horrible grungy machinery at the edge of its you know what its capability still swerving around and then Virgil's truck explodes and zooms off as well and he tumbles over and the fire flash is now scraping on the floor and the bombs falling in and again i think mean, i don't know very much about um uh, direction tv direction at all but one thing watching the clip even again it's there are several areas that we're trying to keep our attention drawn to yep. you know it's not just you've got free buggies yes you've got virgil there you've also got the pilots. And we've got the runway itself. There's lots of different areas we're trying to keep track of. And it's masterfully cut, cut. You know exactly where you are, what's going on. You know how that uh, buggy failing impacts yeah. upon that one there. Why? And this, the, 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 yeah, the suspense, the tension, the music. It's interesting that the, that's the second time you get the shot of the fire flash going over the three buggies. The mm. first time is unscored for the failed attempt. That's right, yeah. And, it's, and it's, it's good, and it's not quite as exciting. The second time, that music, which is, yeah. I think, the best... I think for me it's my favourite bit of Barry Gray's music is that um, I think that's when you go oh yeah okay this is this is the stuff this is really exciting and then it lands and then think okay it's just gonna they break and then that's the end of the rescue and then of course it goes off into all the other areas and even that line like we're running out of runway that's nonsense <laughs> as a line isn't it it's only when he I, I had to yes. see that about 20 times I sat there and went we're running out of runway who who allowed that line to get through and yet it it trips off the tongue. I don't mind. I'm, you know, I'm sat there as a possible script editor at home in my living room, going, "Oh, that line." I'm not a pilot. Actually, on a plane that's no. about to explode with a <laughs> bomb in the back and free buggies underneath me, I'm, I'm going to say whatever I like. Running out of runway, that works. I mean, I'm terrified. Like that thing that's going out of, you know, I don't know how far this actually goes. I mean, I, which airport is London Airport? Oh, uh, London, it? of course. Yes, Was Captain London. Captain Norman. Commander
4: Norman. Commander yes. Norman today. <laughs> yeah. I
2: say, I don't know how I've still got my job. Something <laughs> goes wrong. Every Every single day,
4: yes, it's, he's uh, never turned up for work on a day where there wasn't a disaster. I believe yes. didn't, you, you made a video trailer
2: for like London Airport. As yes. Didn't. Yes. yes, yes, the, you
4: the did. television series. Yes.
2: Absolutely, and we, but that's the that's the series I want to see made. We'll do that together. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fine. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm up and for that. And the entire series about Commander Norman and the staff at the airport, International Rescue, occasionally in it. Well, International Rescue will probably have to be in it quite a lot. Just occasionally, <laughs> all the times where they don't get there on time.
4: Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Well, um, speaking of. Um, The way you've been talking this week and last week, and indeed the way I've been talking, there's a slight jokiness in how we talk about these shows. Absolutely. Um, I think, I know with
2: Thunderbirds you saw it as a kid. Yeah.
4: I get the feeling with Scarlet you came to it when the DVDs
2: were released. Absolutely. It was a friend of mine. Slightly older. Yeah. So this would be sort of like you 11, 12, early teens, and a friend of mine who had watched... Scarlett as a child, he, he, came, he came over with the, with the Volume 1 DVD and we watched it as a sort of, oh yeah, let's remember. And of course you're watching it and as a child you can watch one of these programmes and just love it. Yeah. And then as a teenager you're not allowed to like child's things. And so you have to, you watch it with a certain, well, you know, society says you can't, you watch with it, you try to, you try to impress upon yourself an ironic detachment. We're yeah. laughing we're laughing at this, not with it. We're enjoying this ironically, etc. People do that. You know, it's understandable. You do that in your teens because you're frightened. Yeah. Teenagers are frightened of being laughter. And you, you say you put up this defense barrier of ironic detachment because you don't want to be heard. And then later in life you realize you just don't need it. And yeah. if you like something and you take joy from it, that in itself is, is good enough. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. You can, so, you know, I would have watched some of those as a teen. Deep down, absolutely loving it. But, of course, on the outside. Sarcasm. I did an episode guide, um, you know, an internet episode guide, which is, as <laughs> far as I'm aware, wiped from the face of the internet, but was took. I did a lot of work on that at the time, and it's full of, like, snarky jokes and taking the piss out of this and making all that, and not even, uh, for a single moment, even thinking about the people actually making the programmes. Mm. It was just from the point of view of me, the viewer, I must be satisfied, I must be amused, and I'm going to be sarcastic. Much later, you put that behind you. You yeah. stop doing that, and you become so much happier, when you can go, this is a wonderful piece of television. It was made for a different audience in a different time. But the appreciation to craft the basic uh, fundamentals of storytelling, they just come flooding back. And Mm. so, obviously, I I can um, watch, you know, some of the The latest big dramatic series and adult dramas and all that I generally do, but then it's a lovely change of pace to come back to an episode of something like Thunderbirds or Captain Scarlet or, of course, Doctor Who. Yeah. And go, this is great television. It's different television. It's different. It's slower paced, and some of those episodes of Doctor Who, my God, nothing happens for uh, hours (laughs) at a time. But there's still something to enjoy in them, mm. and you just appreciate them. And, you, you know, you don't need to worry that you're going to go into school the next day and get beaten up for enjoying something that you well, want yes. to.
4: Um, that's <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: You know. That sounds very familiar. It yeah. is a, a fine line, and I hope it's one that I tread reasonably carefully when I do my episode commentaries. I absolutely. I mean, I've, of, your,
2: your enthusiasm is absolutely powerful. Oh,
4: but thank
2: the you. The joy that you express in it, I think so.
4: Well, I, I think the key to it is having fun with it without making fun of it because that is just... You uh,
2: laugh with, you don't laugh at. I mean, Stephen Moffat, of course, of Doctor Who, um, who was uh, the showrunner for many years of Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi's Doctors, um, has a very irreverent sense of humour even towards Doctor Who and some of the Mm. early DVD extras had him cropping up making fun of Earthshock with the Cybermen and being very, very funny. He goes, oh, those people are making fun of the show I like and I'm now just old enough that I'm not going to take offence to that. Tee hee hee hee. But that, sense of fun is also there in his television making and he makes some of the most wonderful episodes of Doctor Who ever and he knows this is a fundamentally ridiculous show and you go the next step over and isn't that wonderful. Mm-hmm. If you get tripped up at that first step of isn't this silly you won't get anywhere and it's just a sad miserable place to be but if you go further and go and that's what's so wonderful about it and that's why I think um, I think I now appreciate things like uh, Gerry Anderson's programmes in the same way, not the same way as, as a child, but on that same sort of level. Yeah. You, know, you cut out the middle bit where you're a bit, well, I'm trying to define who I am and all that. And now you go, I don't care. It's just great, isn't yeah. it? And I've always, I must know, I've always had that sense of that because I've known you for 20 years. And whenever you've yeah. spoken about it, I've always had that sense of you of a genuine joy and enthusiasm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, hopefully the listeners and viewers get that as well. I'm sure they do because um, I, I get that. And of course, you make fun of bits because it's from a position of love and it's from a position... Of fundamental respect yes. for the craft, for the joy of the... Program. And the people who, who, the made, people it who made it all in the first Absolutely. place.
4: Now, having said all of that, we are now going to put our, our words to the test yes. with a clip of your favourite Anderson character. <sighs> uh, we won't say his name beforehand, but here he is at perhaps the peak of his powers. Let's take a look. <laughs>
3: Hold it right there. Let me pass. I've got strict orders. No one's to go in there. I've got to stop the operation. I said no one. And that's final. Then I must see Keller White. Magnus is a Mithron. Hold him. It's too late, Earthman. He's dead. You're wrong, Magnus. You've killed Captain Scarlet. Dr. Magnus, consider yourself under arrest. goodness sake
2: <laughs> see all exits from deck c apprehend dr madness this is a, <laughs> <laughs> you're a, you're a trained captain
4: yeah. captain magenta there getting knocked out by the door okay. he was guarding captain
2: him. magenta now <sighs> captain magenta settle in folks this is gonna take a while <laughs> see he is so excited to have solved that particular case mm-hmm. early on, from looking at a newspaper. That's the one where everyone's going, "Oh, kill! I'm going to kill time. Kill time. What does that mean? Kill time." And then he rings up, White, I've got it. I've got it. It's so obvious. Why didn't we think of this before?" Calm down, Captain Magento. It's so obvious. Well, the what first,
4: the uh, Colonel's uh, first uh, response is, "Is that you, Captain Magento?"
2: Yes. He doesn't even know him that way. Well. Is that you, Captain Magento? <laughs> Yes, yes, I found it. Please tell me what, what, what's happened. Start wasting my time. I've read it. Kill time, kill Tiempo. He is so excited to have found something. That level of enthusiasm, excitability is nowhere else. Captain Blue and all, no. and Captain Ochre, Captain Grey, that's doing their job, wandering around. Then there's this guy wandering around. He's having the best time of his life every second of yep. every day. Captain Magenta, he, he cannot possibly be a trained professional. Oh, there, man, is no. abs- like, there is absolutely no way that man... I mean, this is a man who, who takes joy in counting up to 21. Yes. Like, people are destroying you. He's going, oh, oh UFOs, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Oh, and he's having such a great time. That is a man. Kona White has a friend somewhere else who says, look, look, I, I've... I've my son, I don't know what to do with him. He just can you just <laughs> stick him on cloud Ace, you know, just just give him a position, you know, make a man of him, you know, defeat defeat the Mister Can you can I do that? Yes, yes, okay, John. We've got okay. A pink
4: uniform. Yeah, got, to got it this. nobody
2: else wants it. Fine, fine, but you owe me one. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. And off he goes. That's it. it's got to be that. He's, he's, he's a he's nepotism. That's the only reason Captain Magenta can be there. And yet, I mean, I've no idea what anyone else thinks about him. They seem to treat him of utter <laughs> disdain. Poor Captain Magenta. And yet. Captain Scarlet as a series which is only 25 minutes, where so the characters are... The characterizations. I think, it's fair to say, a bit more sort of sparing than on Thunderbirds. Yeah. I don't know anything about Captain Ochre, other than that I hope he likes that colour. Otherwise, yeah. there's nothing to him. He's, he's a professional doing a job. I respect that. But I'm he's not going to write guy. fan fiction about you, Captain Ochre. No. I mean, I'm sure people have, and you know, don't oh, send yeah. it to me. Please. Please, I, I can't. But Captain Magenta, do. Because Captain Magenta... There's that level of humour. I, I remember who wrote Operation Time. It clearly sat there and wouldn't it be funny if one of these captains is just so excited at finally cracking it when presumably everyone else has gone, oh, you'll never... You stay... The rest of us, we're, you know, we're on the SPVs, we're going around doing this and that. Stay home. Stay yeah. in the cruise Cause Here's a newspaper. Do a Sudoku. Go give, give yourself something to do. Well, there's a do. scene
4: early on, isn't there, where Colonel White's issuing all the other captain's
2: orders, right? You're yeah. off to Rio. You're off here. You're off there. Magenta's downstairs He's just, you know, just reading the paper. Nothing. He's no. got nothing to do. All the angels are shot up. He's just there by himself. And you know, the number of times we see him, he just you know, usually at roadblocks, Yes. out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> on a sort of English country lane, and he goes, oh, the villain will never go down there. Just put him there. And then they do. And he goes, <gasps> and he shoots, misses, falls over, knocks himself unconscious. And they go, what are you doing here, Captain yes. Magenta?
4: Yes, it's, it's incredible. And it's one of those things where you look at it and you – I don't think it was intentional. Yeah. But it's one of those things where once you've got the DVDs and such and you have the opportunity to look back, okay, yeah. all of this evidence mounts up yeah. to this exceptionally incompetent but nonetheless totally exuberant individual. And I
2: think that's what for me makes it particularly funny is that when there's a, you know, when there's a comedy moment in, say, Thunderbirds, yeah, everyone's in on that joke. Like, oh, you know. Gordon, go and repair that television. Oh, here I go again. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. And, oh, Parker's done something funny. Ha, ha. We're all joking. And, and some of those work and some you go, you're over-egging it a bit. But fine, you know, I understand. It's, this it seems to be a joke that only the writer... And the voice actor are aware, and the voice actor are aware of no one else making that program is aware that this man is uh, is a liability. Mm. To this is a top secret base. Yes. They are the front line, protecting us from total devastation from an alien race. He's manning the communications and doing this and that. And he's what's going on? What's yeah. te- Lieutenant Green is that? He's just a lieutenant, mm. just lieutenant, t- and he's got far more capability. He must be sat there going, "What have you got that I do? You know how much work." I put in I'm always sat here at my desk I'm first thing in the office every morning Colonel White's over there being angry and swirling around on his little spinny chair I'm here and I've got all this stuff coordinating the safety of the planet and there's a captain over there who who' who's trying to learn how to count what's he doing here you've given him you've given him a, a weapon he this, this yeah. incompetent man has got a gun with bullets in it. Which I we've just
4: seen there can be stolen very easily by any passing doctor
2: who. Uh... Is it, I, I mean, the only way that would work is if the villain ran off and discovered, oh, hang on, this is a toy gun. Yes. And then you go, oh, that's, <laughs> of course, if I'd stolen Captain Blues, I could have killed someone, but this is actually made of rubber. But it, it's astonishing that the character is there. And it's a very peculiar, quirky bit of comedy, which is not shared by, I think, anything else in that show. Yeah. Aside from possibly. Colonel White being a bit lally
4: at times. Yeah.
2: Oh, and the episode, of course, there's one where the, Mister Ron's plan is: you know what? We could just spike the champagne. Yes. If we make them <laughs> drunk, put our circles over the bottle. Look, they—they—they're going to. They're going to send a nuclear bomb out. We didn't have to. We could have done this yeah, we straight know. away. Yeah. So this is the voice of the missiles. Drink the champagne, trust <laughs> us, no, we're giving up, you know, fair play, off you go. He, 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 he. They could have done that at any time. The, that humor is in there, but it's bizarre that Captain Magenta is a character in a Gerry Anderson series, allowed to run riot. And the voice, I said, Gary. Was Gary, it Gary Files. Files was it? Yes, you did, you, did, you did an interview with him. I think,
4: yes, well, it's it's in my uh,
2: secrets of the secret service
4: book down there on the floor. He says he he will always try to find the humour in any character he's given. And,
2: and he did because that's excels. something where the, the I know how hard is enthusiasm on audio is is you know in those heightened emotions and he does it. It's a you know that's, as much as I mock the character, it's a brilliant vocal performance. Oh yeah. And the direction, and you can tell the other voice actors are in it. The guy playing um, Colonel White, who's, coming uh, can't remember the actor's Donald name. Donald Gray. Donald Gray. You know, he used to say, he goes, is that you, Captain Magenta? Please slow down, Captain You can tell, I am so, I've had it up to here with you. It's been such a long day, and now you, my, my, my cousin's son, who I didn't want here, is now babbling in the newspaper. What do you want? And he goes, oh, how angry must Colonel White be that, oh, he's actually got the answer. He was yeah. so prepared to say, "Get out, leave my base." Going, oh, you? it is quite
4: telling that you don't actually what? see the response on the screen. As soon as no. he gives the answer, they cut away to something else yes. before the colonel completely blows his absolutely top.
2: Absolutely furious. You go, oh, he's, he's managed to sort of yeah, okay, he's justified his salary yes. for another year while Lieutenant Green is still there waiting for a promotion.
4: He that I'm works, never going to give him.
2: He, he works seven days a week. Lieutenant Green, absolutely. He yeah. is he is twenty hours a day, seven days. Give him a promotion. Lee, I'm begging you. I'm not sure why I'm begging. The British government, please. (laughs) We're going to set up a petition.
4: (laughs) Oh, dear. This is what this show brings out in us, and in particular, Captain Magenta. We are not alone. It's been nice for me to discover this over the years, as people have got DVDs and Blu-rays there is a new appreciation for all this can't Absolutely, is yep yeah. um to the extent where i think he, he, you can um, buy or you could buy the uh, the scarlet the spectrum pistol with a, a special magenta branding they didn't make many of them uh, uh, no 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 okay. so don't they're, give they're, quite, they're collectors items don't those.
2: give him a gun no
4: definitely not <laughs> but lose it's it. a question of you did he have bullets no probably not uh, i think it's time for another question from the <laughs> old tin so if you'd like to uh help yourself to another couple of
2: Bits of paper. I was a question, Captain Magenta. What have you got against me? <laughs> uh, from uh, Matthew Mayhew. Hello, Matthew. Uh, has there been an episode of any Andover's show where you went, wow, I did not expect that ending? You know, actually, yes. Now, Thunderbirds, for all I love it, you can usually assume that they will save the day. Yes. Mainly because they always do. Now, Captain Scarlet. I remember when I was watching it even for the yeah the first time that first volume of the DVDs and I I must episode 1 of Captain Scarlet has always confused me. I think that's why it took me a while to get into it. The fact that the the hero is then the villain and then he gets defeated but then he comes back and I I couldn't quite work out, you know, it's odd that the hero of the series is a villain for episode 1. So yes. it took me a while to it get into unusual, it, yeah. And I I went well, okay, winged assassin I think is episode 2. And you go, OK, we're going to get back into it. No, he's on their side and, you know, they didn't lose last week. You know, they, they've got this together. The president was ultimately saved. And they're going to save this guy from, I think, you know, some sort of air military type thing. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, um, uh, the the person they're protecting is blown up and killed. I, I believe, like, a plane crashes into the... Pl- or yeah. he's in a little plane that then crashes into a plane and then it spirals off and explodes. And they all sit there and go, oh, no. Yeah. Oh dear! And I thought that was surprising after you know thirty-two episodes of you know unequivocal success and international rescue. You know, the, you know, suddenly we've, these guys come in going right, um, going to try and save the world from Martians. We better get this right. Okay, here's their. We save the present. This is their second target. Let's make sure we get this. Oh, oh yes. no! Oh no! He's he, he's just been blown up in
4: front of us. And what's what? strange
2: is that it isn't
4: a nothing of a character yeah. in terms of audience attachment but yeah. you still feel something because you've not seen anything like that That's on it. Thunderbirds.
2: I think we only see like as much as we see that character we see him in a, sleeping in a hotel room yeah. and in a gets killed by Captain Grey I think. Yeah. You know go oh I'm glad Captain Grey is again justifying his salary <laughs> he has to save that <laughs> bloke sadly it was wasted because later on I think he gets put into like an oil tanker as a sort of like decoy vehicle they, they do a good plan I'll give them that good plan mm. to protect this delegate and they get all this and doing all this and that, and they get on his little plane, not the big plane. And then, of course, the Misterons take over a massive plane, and then there, I think they tears away from the airport and the tunnel that would let people on explodes, yeah. and it goes off, and there's all this going, and they shoot the wheels out. And the plane tips over, and they go, Yeah, the day's saved. And the little plane goes, Boom! (laughs) So it was all for nothing, all of that work. Absolutely. And that was the point I genuinely went, Oh, okay, that is really interesting. Mm. And I think throughout Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons, there are only a few episodes where the Mysterons unequivocally win. But it is really interesting. that episode two of the show yeah. they do, and then I think the next one's the the, the Big Ben. That's Big right, Ben strikes yeah. again. Is it? Yeah. And a few episodes where you know there is a win, and, but it's still by skin of the teeth. There is that danger to Captain Scarlet, which isn't quite there in Thunderbirds, which makes it a a, a more prickly show, I mm. think, and all that. The, 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 the not as much humour in there, but it, it's very interesting. That is a very interesting show. So, yeah, yeah, that's why I keep thinking, oh, if I did my own Captain Scarlet, I mean, Captain Magenta would be in it much more. Of course, yes. But I keep that level of danger where you don't know from week to week are they actually going to win. And I think that's very brave for what is mm. meant to be a children's programme, that level of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. One more question you've oh, got. Okay. going <laughs> oh, long, long one. On. <laughs> now, this is a deep cut. Oh, dear. Steve Bushel. Hi, Steve. I've read that you have a script where Detective Columbo winds up in ancient Rome and investigates the murder of the Emperor Domitian. I do. <laughs> this sounds fantastic. When are we likely to see or hear it? Uh, second uh, addendum. Oh, just one more thing. Like Columbo. Oh. oh, just one more thing. Tell Richard not to keep his sandwiches in the space 1999 lunchbox between guests. It makes the question sticky. So that's advice to you, Richard, over there. You've, you know, the viewers have spoken. Make sure to you not put your lunch sandwiches. In the <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a jam donut in there, but, oh. you know, not sandwiches. Oh, yeah, that's from last recording. Uh, but, no, there, uh, it's true. At university, um, when I was writing my stage plays uh, very hurriedly for a, uh, a cast of actors who, frankly, deserve better, um, I, was, uh, I studied ancient history. That was my degree. I did uh, ancient Roman history. In fact, one of my more recent projects is a comedy uh, podcast series about ancient Rome. I'm going to plug that, may as well. Yep. Cry Havoc, Ask Questions Later, or just cry havoc, is a series about Julius Caesar's been killed and now Mark Antony and uh, Octavian Caesar are in charge of of Rome and the Republic, but they have no idea how to run it and it's falling apart and it's a total mess. It's sort of like the thick of it set in Rome is sort of the general pitch that I did there. So I've always loved ancient Rome and back at university, one of the projects which we had to do was um, drawing upon ancient texts And creating, like, a sort of an ancient star biography or some sort of newspaper story about this. Do a newspaper, it was, do a newspaper story about an ancient Roman conspiracy. And I said, can I write a script? And they went, yeah, all right, you know, not a long one. But I said, oh, about 10 pages. Went, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. And they, I went, okay. And I think they expected me to write like a sort of news report as a script. This is just for coursework. It wasn't filmed or anything, just coursework. And I sent it back. And it, I decided I wanted to have Colombo in ancient Rome just investigating a, yeah. a Roman emperor and assassination. And him going, yeah. oh, how much did you pay for that toga? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> all this, wandering around. And um, I had a great time writing it. And my supervisor gave me an A and said... To be fair, this does include all the information, and it is very funny. <laughs> I'll send it off to the invigilator. I mean, you've taken your degree into your hands here, but fine, it's, you do what you like. <laughs> and it came back. The invigilator who'd done all the classes stuff said, yes, uh, very good, very good. And come to this guy and said, this guy here, very, very good, very good. The student who did the Colombo script, I love Colombo. Tell him, absolutely brilliant. Double, double plus A on oh, that script. Oh, fantastic. And I went, ah. So that... Columbo in ancient Rome script probably saved me my degree because I, I, did, I did my dissertation most of that like the day before it was due. <laughs> it wasn't that good. I scraped by on that Columbo script and that saved me. That got me a first at wow. Edinburgh in ancient
4: history. So any, uh, any students out there with um, yep. coursework to hand in,
2: add Columbo. Follow my example. Just do Columbo, send in, hope for the best, do the rest of the work the night before it's due, preferably the morning of. What could possibly go wrong?
4: We're coming to the end of our our time with you now, sadly, but uh, of course we have to touch on wooden overcoats before you go. Um, As you've mentioned, this is a uh, podcast set, uh, well, featuring rival funeral homes.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Where does this idea
4: come from in the first place, and what are some of the, the influences? You
2: know, absolutely yes, because I think um, as my friends, uh, Tom and Felix, who, who starred in, in, in the show, as um, sort of very sort of up, uh, very uptight, sort of old-fashioned Rudyard fun, and this much more sort of um, charismatic and likable uh, funeral director called Eric Chapman, and the idea is that Rudyard runs a funeral house, which is very much like a sort of Tim Burton style. Very gloomy and spiders and dust. Whereas Eric Chapman is a very popular man who has this wonderful gleaming funeral parlour and becomes like the centre of the of the um, uh, the sort of uh, socialising scene in Piffling Vale. Eric Chapman becomes the centre of the socialising scene, and everyone wants to be have their funerals done by him because that's the really sort of cool thing to do. And part of this was that I wanted to do a series about jealousy, professional jealousy, because I would have been in my mid twenties when I started that series, and I spent a lot of my time staring at the ceiling, thinking, "Why am I not getting the jobs that that person's getting?" Yeah. The answer to that was they're putting the work in, and you're sat here staring at the ceiling and wondering about it. That's that's why they're getting the work. Um, But I didn't know that. I sit there going, "Oh, why?" And I knew that this envy, this jealousy, was self-destructive and not going anywhere. And then this idea of um, rival funeral. Um, uh, funeral homes and undertakers came up. Um, and I said to Felix and Tom, we said, Look, we've got this idea of these two people who are sort of don't like each other and they're rivals, but we don't quite know what else. And I said, Yeah, I want, can I, I've got some ideas for that. And I wanted to make it about jealousy, but one sided jealousy, because the big influence was a now, I think, little known. British sitcom called Ever Decreasing Circles or one of the greats absolutely Richard Bryars and Peter Egan where Richard Bryars is this very fussy neighbour who is quite difficult to get on with and then a very handsome neighbour comes in next door played by Peter Egan who everybody likes and thinks he's absolutely terrific and he can do anything he's got mates who can do this and that and I very much lifted that dynamic and put it in my show Um, and then of course had all the other characters and stuff around it as well like Rudyard's creepy sister Antigone who can hide in the shadows and all of this But that was the centerpiece. I wanted one-sided rivalry where you spend so much time trying to put one over on your rival, to defeat your rival, to do whatever you can. Mm. If you just stopped and stepped back and said, what can I do for myself? What can I do that the other person can't? What can I do in my way? You know, maybe my life would go a bit better. And that's I wanted a character who just wouldn't do that, who would yeah. always ignore good advice and go straight forward, trying to get one over on the opponent, which he never succeeds. It also gives you a kind of vague plot of the week of our protagonist is trying to defeat the opponent, much like I suppose it's Captain Scarlet from the Mistraans' <laughs> point of view. It's like we're going to try and defeat them each time, um, and sometimes Roger, this,
4: is, this is an opponent who really is not an antagonist no, as such. He just indeed. exists. The idea of Eric Chapman
2: is that at no point, in fact, it only takes until like the last season he's even aware that the other guy across the road doesn't like him. Yes. Like he's just so likable. He goes, "Oh Roger, I'd love you to see you," and so it was this year, very, I hoped, very funny series. Rooted in professional jealousy, but also sort of domestic jealousy. Because what I loved in ever decreasing circles is that Richard Bryer's character, Peter Egan's, they're not in competition for work or for money. It's just a social status. Richard Bryer's character says in an early episode, "When I was at school, all the other there was a new everyone used to play games with me, and then a new boy came in, and everyone went up his side of the playground, and they wouldn't come into my side." That episode was on yesterday. Actually, I saw that bit. It's such a moving bit of character yeah. and, and I latched onto that and I just loved it I love Ever Decreasing Circles but that bit of characterization the writing the acting Richard Briar's not even trying to go for tears he's just saying it in a kind of slightly sad way and I thought yes a show where somebody is there with you know let's elevate that to professions and money I've got my funeral home somebody else has moved in across the road they look better than I do. They're more popular than I am, and I don't know why. They're really charismatic. They've got all of my jobs now. So there's a, a financial incentive and problem here. But also, people just like him more. Yeah. What is it about him that they like? Why don't they like me? And what is it? And, and, the, and again, you spend so long getting into that rabbit hole of think comparing yourself to other people. And I still do that. You know, yeah. I, I, I open up the, the Metro and so and so has managed to get a film made, and I go, why am I not that person? Yeah. Why that's, haven't I done that? That's very familiar. It? And I think that, yeah, everyone can feel that. So that's where that came from. Yeah. I hoped it was a universal theme.
4: It is very relatable, yeah. Um, this is a series that has run for four seasons Absolutely. and a number of specials and yeah. has won quite a few awards. Mm. Uh, not only is it award winning, you've also slipped in one or two mentions of other I shows. Have. Uh, particularly in the final season, where the, the big question on everyone's lips was, why did he resign? Yeah. But also also, in the very last episode, there was yeah. a, a Thunderbirds reference, I believe. Yeah, um, like, I, I'm trying to remember. Uh, what do you remember I think now? it was just Thunderbirds. are goers, yes, as the helicopters going to take I off think, at yeah. the end.
2: Yes, there is. Yes, um, for, yeah, where they're trying to say they're trying to motivating words to try and lift off in a helicopter. Thunderbirds are goers. It, it's, was,
4: uh, it's an, even if I didn't know you, yeah. it's an all-round fantastic podcast oh, and you. wonderful uh, listening experience. So the fact that you have peppered it. With references Absolutely. to Thunderbirds, The Prisoner, Yes Minister. The, yes. the Island is a retirement home for old Roger Moore characters. Yes. It's just like, this is, this is made by someone on
2: my level. There are various characters from like Tinker Taylor's Soldier, Spy, yes. and John Carry, Works have retired there or died or whatever. Because we often have like characters, many episodes have like, so-and-so has just died. It's always a character we've never met before. Yeah. So it's always an excuse to put in a joke linking to something back. I do believe that like Eric Chapman and his funeral home, I, at one point he does a funeral for the Persuaders. Yes. I know that. They're yeah, both up they're there, in there in a they're cryogenic dead. suspension. Yeah. <laughs> waiting to be buried. And there are lots of references to The Prisoner, especially as it went on. I increased yes. those. Because I'd only... I saw The Prisoner for the first time between seasons one and two. Oh, right. And I loved it. And I thought, oh, it's set on an island. Ooh, yes. Ooh. Um So I loved... In fact, I had a... Um, there are a lot of references to Doctor Who so much that friends... People I... Actually, people I hadn't met before would come up to me after shows when we did them live and say... Um, is that a reference to um, Doctor Who and the Daily Assassin Part 1? It was. Oh my God, I knew it was. And I mean suddenly, so the unspoken Doctor Who fan code, and then you know, become a friend of mine for many, many years. Yeah. And everything else. Um, in fact, the, um, there's a, uh, with no spoilers, there's, a, there's an unseen character in the, in the last few episodes who is named after an old flatmate of mine ah. uh, who works for a character only ever referred to as the Baron. the Baron. The Baron. The Baron. What's this a reference to, David? It is a reference to a series called The Baron. The Baron. The Baron by Terry Nation, and um, a series that uh, I don't believe anyone has ever actually seen. But it certainly exists. It does exist. It does I've exist. got at
4: least two copies of it. And two I, copies, uh, Two
2: copies, I know. It's terrible. We should have done the Blu-rays. I would have got those. Oh, we were so close to the Blu-rays, so, so close. close. RIP oh. Network,
4: I don't know. Yeah, oh, Network is network. just a, a tragic loss. Really we are lost. very near the end of our time with you. But we do still have two questions in there. And then we will head for
2: our quick fire five. Okay, so this question here from Paul Hyder. Hello, Paul. F- favorite cake. Oh,
4: this is a big question to end on.
2: Oh, dear, dear, dear. And this does change. This changes from day to day. You know what I'm gonna take? I'm gonna oh am I gonna am I gonna yeah, I'm gonna cheese it. At the moment I figure it's any cake that I've just made. Right because I've Just started baking a year ago. I've seen some lovely pictures. Yes, they do something very appetising. I love cakes. I love cookies. I'm a bit, you know, you can give me the finest sort of, you know, steak and all that in the world, and I'll eat it, and it'll it'll be lovely, etc. But I'm not really excited until I see the dessert. That's where I'm at. The dessert is but And so cakes and cookies, particularly even more than chocolate. I like, chocolate sweets are nice, but I like a good, something you sink your teeth into. Yeah,
4: okay. something substantial. And I've got into
2: baking, and I can do cookies. Now, cakes, I've just, I'm only just started, you know, very simple sort of, but there's a huge, there is, it's, there's a huge satisfaction to eating something you've made. Yeah. It's not as good as the thing you could get in the shop, but you did make it, and it took you, Bloody hours. So that's it. Sort of, I think chocolate sponge cakes, obviously. Oh, um, that's the classic. Any, yeah. ki- any kind of sponge cake. Yeah. Angel cake I'm a sort of big fan of as well. Um, cream slices, actually. Um, I, I'm so hungry, Chris.
4: <laughs> can so we can we get David something? Please. Is that possible? No, no. I don't know if they do cakes here.
2: Bakewell tarts. Oh, well, if there's just Tesco around the corner. Yeah, but, if have yeah. just got like a jam donut tucked away in your pocket there, I'll, I'll take that, but... <laughs> Um, last last question question. who's this from this is from Adam Walker Uh, congratulations on the recent award cheers Uh, what's next is there a story that you're dying to tell what is next well, at the moment uh, I am working on a because uh, I've just had a uh, series come, came out last year called Cry Havoc about the fall of the Roman Republic as told as a sort of disastrous political comedy and I wanted to go to something a bit smaller I am work- I can't say the details yet because we're still making and developing but my I, f- I hope my next project is uh, stop motion animation Ooh. which I'm doing it's a very small scale thing with, um, with friends of mine we're creating we've got an idea for a stop motion character and as I've seasoned very short videos and we i've seen the the first as the rough cut of the very first episode only yesterday and it's very exciting but it's i can say it's very it's a small it's very small scale it's light it's sort of family friendly with a slight edge for the adults if they if they want it so i'm looking at something like that otherwise my next thing i want to do is i would like to do another what what i'd like to do is um uh, another series like wooden overcoats um uh, perhaps even Wooden overcoats on television. That's something, of course, we yeah, very interested in. it would work, definitely, yeah. Ghost has just finished. They want yeah. to have a family-friendly show with a large cast on BBC He's television. don't it. you? I'm right Take here. Him. The rights are with us. Come on, Wooden Overgoats on television. Generally, I want to do uh, more shows which are um, family-friendly uh, ensemble sitcoms, uh, which either in studio or you know, single camera, whichever. Which, what I want to do is have the next comedy series which becomes a national favorite and then becomes the linchpin of BBC One Christmas broadcasting. Absolutely, that's yes. my vision. Some people want to do big action stuff, and they want to do this, and they want to do the drama. They want to... No, I want to be the show that you go, Oh, god, it's five o'clock Christmas Day. What's on? Oh, good. That's what I want. That's the emotion I want. That's sort of a weary acceptance. I'll, oh. I'll take that, but but one tinged with relief. It's like <laughs> well, we we could talk to each other. But David K. Barnes's new Christmas special is on. It's probably all right. That's I'll take that. That's what I want to be. So I want another sort of comedy series along that line. That's I've perfect. Got yeah. a few things bubbling along the surface um, at the moment, pitching into a few places. So I can't say what they are, but that's the style. That's mm. what I want. I want to make people happy, give people relief, something just to stick on to keep the kids quiet. What I more just, could you ask for? Yeah, I want to be helpful to the oh, viewers at home.
4: Hire him. Go on. He's lovely. Oh, uh, that noise that we just heard brings us to the end of our interview oh. and to a little something that we call Quick Fire Five. It's oh, oh. a five questions okay. with either or answers. Yep. So, whose life story would you most like to dramatise, Spectrum's Colonel White or London Airport's Commander Norman? <laughs>
2: Oh. oh, Colonel White has more scope. Colonel White, he I does. Think. Yes, I think so. there, there is something in in Command, Norman, but, it but it's, a, it's a double act. Him and Captain Magenta, and they're solving crimes. Oh, I like
4: this. Yeah. I definitely like this. <laughs> Who would make a better Prime Minister? The Secret Services' Father Stanley Unwin or Spectrum Agent Captain Magenta?
2: I, 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 I they're both so incompetent. I know uh, <laughs> I. You know what? Um, I think Father Stanley Unwin. I get the thing that he's not going to immediately push the button for the nuclear. Bombs, you know, I, yes, they think the that is nuclear to are safe of him, they are not safe for Captain Magenta, no, 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 especially no. the button shiny. Like, oh, yeah, we're doomed, yeah,
4: forget that. Uh, who would make the finest cakes, Grandma Tracy or Lady Penelope's cook,
2: Lil? Oh, yes, I remember, remember, Lil. I get the feeling, I, I get the feeling that Grandma seems to actually care more about not smoking directly into the batter, yes, so that does probably help. Grandma, though I do recall, like, you know. A, Putting, like, accidentally... Isn't there an episode she accidentally puts, like, sort of, like, homing beacons in her cake? And everyone has yes. to move around. The, you know, yeah, that sounds dangerous. So, you yeah, you take your life into your own hands. Indeed, yeah. Denmark, it's very dangerous. I guess.
4: Who would be the most efficient henchman for Captain Black? Yes Minister's Bernard Woolley or Wooden Overcoat's Antigone Farm. Oh,
2: I want to see both of those. I... Or... Can I... 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 I I okay, think we can ca- stretch the point if you do I want to I think we can both. Captain Black and Antigone fun, and Bernard Woolley is the third person there in the back who occasionally leans in with a gag. That's the yes. series. Okay, I'll have Perfect. that. Perfect. Okay. That.
4: Finally, you've yeah. been asked to join the ranks of Spectrum, yes, whether you like it or not, and you can pick your colour from the Dulux colour paint range. So are you Captain Sapphire Splendour mm. or Lieutenant Butter Biscuit?
2: As tempted I am by my taste buds igniting up the last one, it's Sapphire Splendor. My Sapphire God, I've Splendor. never known I wanted an identity more than right now. <laughs> it's a great name for a series as well, Captain isn't it? Captain Sapphire Splendor. Yeah.
4: Fantastic stuff. And on that note oh. of, of Splendor... Oh. That brings us mm. to the end of this week's interview oh, with David K. Barnes. David, exactly. it has been an absolute personal pleasure. So lovely me to, and lovely uh, to see you again. That's, yes, and you. I hope to see you again in 20 years. Yes. Absolutely. We must do this again we when we're do. when we're doing the um, 5 pm on Christmas Day Absolutely. podcast. Of
2: course. <laughs> God, it was so nice. Thank you very oh, much.
4: Thank you very much lovely. for coming. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, David K. Barnes.
0: Well, thank you.
1: What a lovely pair they are.
0: Yes, and uh, David K. Barnes is a nice chap as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, uh, no, David and Chris, excellent. Yes. Which, yes. What a
1: nice thing to enjoy a different kind of dynamic of conversation.
0: Absolutely right. And, uh, Chris was telling me earlier that uh, they've known each other a couple of decades. Really? Yes, but this, I think, was only the second time that they've met in person. Isn't that strange? But
1: lots of, you know, emailing and tweeting and... Yeah. I, kind of, I love that about the modern world. Yeah. You can be friends with somebody for a long time. And, and feel that you know them. And then only see them in person. Yeah. yeah. I, in fact, yes, I had the same with a, a, a friend of mine who's a, an Agatha Christie expert. The oh. world's foremost Agatha Christie expert. Really? Who I've known for nearly 20 years and only met for the first time recently. How bizarre. Thanks to the internet. Isn't that strange? Yeah, great. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Uh, now, I don't know who we've got next week for the interview. Brilliant. Well, it'll be I a mean, surprise for all of us. Yeah, I, know, I mean, I know who's coming in, but I don't know what, you know which order. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to well, leave let's that keep hanging. It a yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, we have got some big names mm. coming though. Have we? Well, let me just say if you're a fan of UFO, y- yes. You might be interested to know that we've got uh, a certain someone come to join us around the table in a couple of months' time. Oh, they're lovely. Yeah? Mm. Good, good. Look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, oh, we've so also nice. got a, 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 a rather gruesome twosome joining us. Um,
1: oh, no, not yeah,
0: those two. Yeah, yeah, in a couple of uh, couple uh. Of weeks. Uh, uh, we've also got, uh, well, I'll say a Doctor Who companion sitting around the table. I wonder if Chris will snap that one up as well or if I'll be interviewing her. I don't bet know. he will. Yeah, I think he will. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, like... uh, also someone from uh, Time Bomb Comics might be joining us in the future gosh and should i say for the eagle-eyed viewers <laughs> we might have a special guest and something else rather interesting for our 300th podcast or very clever very clever. early days that one you're
1: very smart with these um, uh, yeah. hints and bits of wordplay uh, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway <laughs> let's
0: without further ado and certainly no more poopoo go to no. our facebook group Okay. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash posterons. Simon Reed says In recent months, our four and a half year old has got into Thunderbirds and really loves Barry Gray's music. So we made him a special Thunderbirds card for his Yoto player with a soundtrack on it. I don't even know what a
1: Yoto player is. Well,
0: it's an audio player for kids with a 16 by 16 pixel display that has lots of stories and music, etc., available to buy on physical cards or stream. Ah. And it also allows you to make your own NFC cards by uploading MP3s and designing your own pixel icons. That sounds very cool.
1: I want a Yoto player. Absolutely. Mm.
0: Uh, I enjoy preparing these icons for all the tracks, including the main vehicles and the IR logo, plus a couple specific to certain episodes, like the Sidewinder. Ah. I had to borrow the Fantastic March of the Oysters track from the Stingray, CD, as it's used in Day of Disaster and has become a real favourite that my son hums all the time when playing with his vehicles. You sound like a bit of a musical prodigy this year, It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, My wife painted the Thunderbird 1 for the physical card. Anyway, I thought I'd share here where such efforts might be appreciated, and indeed they were, Massively appreciated. Yeah, yeah, really nice.
1: Lovely. David Hollis also wrote on the Facebook group, Mm -hmm. please can you sign below to see if we can get David Graham an award oh. like an MBE for oh, his yeah. service to film and television yeah I think he is a magical person that has done so much in my childhood and so much more beyond yeah uh he should now be Lord Parker or Lord David Graham <laughs> so please help start a campaign to get his work noticed and make him uh, a very happy day get him a very happy day with King Charles
0: oh yes that'd be fun wouldn't it Absolutely. Yeah, well, Willow responded, well, it does need to be an official nomination from a personal friend or a business associate that knows his address and him personally. And then the petition needs to be set up through the correct channels on the correct website,
1: which I believe is government one. So it could be done. Could be done. Could be done. I mean, and if anybody's going to organise it, it'll be the podster so...
0: Yes. Oh, it was you Rightio. Uh, Mark Perkins uh, is talking about the International Rescue Thunderbirds Agents Technical Manual. Well,
1: that, I mean, it's, oh, that, the old one. Right, yeah. okay. Which um, yes, found, so. I mean, yes. That's right.
0: Almost. Uh, Careful. Yeah. Uh, this born, is a the book I've resisted for a time, thinking it would just be reprints of the cutaways I've already got several copies of. But when I took a look at it, how wrong I was, I put it on my wish list and finally came across a reasonably priced <laughs> copy to gift to myself before Christmas. The details fantastic. <laughs> Truly makes it a technical manual for anyone with any level of interest in the world created in the original. Thunderbirds series I mean how could such a thing ever be surpassed I wonder
1: I wonder Mm. Mm, we'll have to find a way
0: yeah and finally I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago Spy Hard's podcast hello Gerry Anderson fans just wanted to drop by and say thanks for your support last year when we had Jamie Anderson on the show to talk about his father's long lost James Bond script it ended up being our fifth most popular episode of the year of the five that year. No, uh, they uh, have yes. more than that. Yes, and if you missed it before, you could check it out by following a link to the SpyHards podcast.
1: Which here, is you on find the Facebook group. Or oh, just yeah. search SpyHards. Yeah, exactly. I really enjoyed that conversation. It was really fascinating to be led by Bond experts. Yes. And to sort of have my hand held through it as yeah. we picked through this, this yeah, treatment. So, that's right. Yeah, 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 lovely thing. It was nice. Uh, talking about
0: lovely things. Yes. That's it from the Podstrons on yes. our Facebook group. Yes. It's time for the loveliest thing of all. The Randomizer. Ah, oh, and Chris. And David K. Barnes. Ah, now look here,
4: Barnes. Yes. Last week you produced a, uh, well, a pretty decent episode of Captain Scarlet for us, which I did. some would say, you know, where can we go from here? Where can we go? I think there's only one way to find out. Yes. Do you know what that is? I'm going to press that button. Press that button right there. That button. And we'll see what happens. Oh. Some masterful button pressing there, if I do say so
2: myself, even though there's no need for me to say so. What have we got here today? We have here, I believe, the very first episode very of first. The Secret Service. My
4: goodness, that's a case for the Bishop. After Captain Scarlet uh, had his first screening in the, the podcast studio, we're now back with another series that hasn't been seen on the podcast uh, since we moved to the studio. This is The Secret Service, first episode of which uh, opens with an entirely live-action uh, teaser. And I, I, I wonder, and it's not in the script, but I wonder if this was at some point meant to be part the uh, supermarionation. Because there's a shot of a puppet, it's the same puppet that played uh, Major Gravener in Treble Cross, that blonde one who looks a bit like uh, Captain Black. Uh, as a security guard standing in a corridor at night, and I can't place it to any episode of any show, but it would fit this pre-titles. But instead, we've got all live action um, with a bit of voice work from, from Sylvia and, I think, Jeremy Wilkin. So, yes, it's an unusual pre-title sequence for a Super Mario Nation show that it is all live action. We've got another safe being broken and we're taking the Healy XK20, vitally important mini-computer, I think. Did you know that according to this book, this very fine publication, A Case for the Bishop is the first Anderson pilot episode to feature an on-screen title since Four Feather Falls How It Began.
3: Have you bought this yet? I'm very happy with this.
4: Anywho, we are now in the office of Saunders and Patterson of British Intelligence. Uh, the closest thing this series has to recurring characters is that they appear in one more episode after this, uh, in the same office, although they seem to have swapped positions. Uh, we have Saunders, <laughs> as you know perfectly well. I love that. Now look here, it's proof that this
3: show was made in the 60s. There's nothing we can do. I repeat, there's nothing we can do about it, but there is someone
4: Someone in our organisation who certainly
3: can. This
4: is an assignment for the Bishop. Right, so British intelligence uh, have washed their hands of the fact that this mini computer thing has been stolen. There is nothing they can do about it. Uh, I find that very hard to believe. But then, I suppose the entire premise of this series is quite hard to swallow. This is indeed episode one of the Secret Service. And it makes a passable fist of introducing the characters. uh, uh, Some elements of the setup. I mean, you know, the close-up on British Intelligence Service Headquarters Operation Priest. This is the first episode. I, I don't know to what extent a proper full introductory episode really setting up this arrangement that Father Unwin has with British Intelligence and what the minimizer is and how Matthew's involved uh, which again you can read in the comic section of this rather wonderful book. Uh, I don't know to what extent a, a first episode of the TV show setting all this up would have been much use for a series that again not many people were going to see unfortunately but it, it couldn't have hurt. It's, I always find it rather strange with some of these ITC shows where there's, you know, there isn't really like an introductory episode, but there is kind of a first episode in the sense that maybe one or two things are not explained as such, but sort of introduced to the audience. Can do nothing about it. Oh, it's a wonderful performance from David Healy as the villain.
3: Uh, David Healy, not a voice actor you hear
4: in this no series No, Father. All that There's a lot
3: of people would like to get their hands on this equipment. Indeed they would, Matthew. Incidentally, you can drop the accent. We're quite alone. Yeah. Are you ready? Quite ready, Father.
4: And I, I'd have to, you know, put myself in the position of first-time viewers watching this back in 69, uh, again, the few regions who actually got to see it, and just wonder what this, on the surface, how this would have clicked with viewers because again you know a first episode there's a lot to set up but Captain Scarlet and Joe Ninety, particularly Captain Scarlet the first episode goes out of its way to explain everything the who, the why, the what, at least everything that we need to know we don't get any set up for the fact that this vicar works for British intelligence has a shrinking ray Luck, Matthew. has a, an undercover agent working as his gardener. Uh, oh, I don't know. I love this series. I'm, I'm sounding very down on this series all of a sudden. Um, but as an, uh, as an introduction to the series, it's... well, let's just say they, they don't let the, uh, the setup get in the way of, of telling a story. As uh, Father Owen sets off from the vicarage with Matthew in the suitcase, uh, off to London Airport. And I know some people find the, uh, the disconnect between the live-action shots and the studio shots and, and the shots of human Stanley Unwin and the puppet quite distracting. The, the blend doesn't always work, but I think there is... You know, the shots of Stanley Unwin driving through the countryside just look so nice. Um, we're watching this on the HD version of the first episode that was released on one of the network DVDs, no Blu rays, from 2014. Sadly, this was the only Super Mario Nation series they didn't get a chance to remaster, aside from Thunderbirds, which had already been done, uh, before, before they went down. Uh, it is such a shame. Uh, and it's nice to have this in HD, but it doesn't quite look up to the, the full remasters that we got for, for Scarlet and Joe. Uh, but we're at London Airport, Father Anwin is gonna nip into the cloakroom, and then we're gonna get a fast motion s- segment. I think what kind of doesn't help it is the fact that for a long time, Nobody is walking, so you've got this fast, accelerated time, but nothing's happening. <laughs> oh. Anywho, Father Owen is now changed into mechanics overalls. And again, we get a long sequence of, of live action, with no puppets at all. Uh, and I, I just wondered to what extent this might have worked entirely live action. I mean, the model work would would perhaps not be possible, but <laughs> the music just carries on, carries on the singing. But yeah, all right, Matthew, you should be safe here. Yes, I know. I know. As I said, some people don't like the the constant switching. I kind of accept it as that's just part of what this show is. But it's it's such a strange way to to produce a series. And there are elements of this that work tremendously well. I, I really like the idea of a, a secret agent vicar. I'm not even averse to the, the, the fact that it's Stanley Unwin. He's a, he's a very nice, likeable, warm presence in this show. Uh,
3: Your information was correct. There is no work in progress here tonight. All right, Matthew. Now you know what to do. Yes, Father. <laughs> but I also love the image
4: you get with this. And that's a, that's a cracking shot of uh, the puppet looking out onto the model stage. But I love what you get with this show. I think it happens more than once, where Matthew is out in the field doing something important, and he's relaying all this information to Unwin, who's just in bed with his sleeping cap on.
3: Engines. And one of the cowings,
4: <laughs> you know, he's, he'll, he'll do his bit for King and Country, but
3: going he's got a strict bedtime. The next check call, 0900 hours tomorrow morning. Good night, Father.
4: Good night, Matthew. And the Unwin puppet sculpt is also just a beautiful piece of work. It really captures the, the look of the actor. And another beautifully uh, decorated home as well. Not quite up to the level of, uh, of the MacLean Cottage. I think that's, that's the most homey home of, uh, from any Anderson production. Now, uh, I'll wait for you
3: to contact me. Right, Father.
4: And uh, there she is, Mrs. Appleby, another very nice-looking uh, character.
3: Modelled on, I believe, Christine Glanville's mother. mother. No, Mrs. Appleby. I was talking to someone far, far away. Yes, that'll do. I was talking to Mister Snrub. Ah. Engine starting, Father. We're taxiing out for takeoff. Thank you, Matthew. Call as soon as you're airborne.
4: It's also nice with the Matthew puppet. Uh, unlike Father Unwin and the Bishop and Mrs Appleby, Matthew was had appeared in previous shows. Uh, he started out in Captain Scarlet. Only a few roles, mostly quite minor. I always like it when you see, it happens in Joe 90 with Shane Weston as well, where you see them, someone who's been in the puppet rep company for ages, suddenly get given a main role.
3: Very well, I shall be joining you shortly. The time has come. Oh, don't be so morbid, Father. And a lot of uh,
4: under-control stuff in this episode so far as well.
3: I was talking to someone up there.
4: Where well, the puppet's being worked from below, there's no no visible strings on on Unwin there certainly. I think there is one on uh, on Mrs Appleby there. The under control stuff. I think they also really perfected through the course of of these shows. In the early days of of Captain Scarlet, it can look a bit stiff. You normally sense when a puppet is being worked from below. But by this point, there's some, there's some really nice body-language moments in these nothing shows. Nothing can stop us. Ooh, nothing except a little man in a protective suit. But who'd be expecting one of those? <sighs> yes, I think that's another reason I'd like to see the Secret Service get a full HD restoration, is just some of this English countryside stuff. It's beautiful. Uh, some lovely, vibrant colours.
3: Matthew, according to my calculations, you should now be over Oxford. You're exactly right, Father. How about you? Are you on schedule? Yes, Matthew.
4: It's also a great time capsule at certain points uh, of 1960s Britain. I, I don't think that shot that aerial shot was specifically filmed for this episode but it's still nice stuff anyway and here we go this is the scene the pivotal scene i think of the series you either get this or you don't <coughs> and of course this is the point where lou grade said forget it we're done
3: you for exceeding the speed limit quite so you're not obliged to say it.: It's
4: a lovely character, this policeman, who stops him.
3: ...and using evidence. Ah, yes. Write your scribbly in your bookery. All uttering words, speed of your pen pencil, must deceive my eye bolt. I didn't quite catch that, sir.
4: Yes, it's Jeremy Wilkin playing the policeman. And he gets a lot of the uh, bemused um, people that, that poor old Unwin has to deal with over the course of the show.
3: You do? Right. Well, unfortunately, Matthew is trapped in the engines, all rotating Rotating rows? <laughs> yes, that's the rotating engine bolt. You spell <laughs> it E-I-N-G Henge Bold.
4: I mean, I have this scene committed to memory and it's utter nonsense. Engine bold. Bold.
3: Right. bold. Now, this is a caution of firebill in his eardroves. He might crash it for lollipop. We must get there before it's too late. It's a matter of life and death.
4: Yeah. I... I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when Lou Grade saw this. You know, It is one of those legendary stories surrounding the Anderson shows in much the same way of, you know, this is not a television series, it's a feature film, which supposedly he said about Thunderbirds.
3: How far behind you? It just. Well, with a bit of luck, I should still make it. Yeah. Particularly with a police escort.
4: And I don't think The Unwinese is that much of a problem that you couldn't have gone back in and just removed it if you really felt that strongly about it. I think there's probably just Lou Grady's looking at this and thinking who does this appeal to? Uh, obviously there's a lot of people like us out there who really enjoy this, uh, completely accept it for what it is.
3: Like Alpha x
4: But a mass zero, audience, the power, this is a very strange idea to throw at them.
3: to London. Roger, Alpha X-ray 140.
4: There's Captain Oka. Flying the Dreisenberg Airlines plane. We're
3: turning back. What's happening? I will find out, Your Excellency.
4: In fact, I believe this um, puppet has appeared on like Secret Service merchandise. I want to say there's a, a DVD release or similar out there with that pilot in place of Matthew. I'm
3: flying on Hey,
4: Father! Yeah, it's very strange. The mistakes that. Um, Companies who don't know better make with packaging. Sometimes, this very uh, casual sabotage of, of the engines is is quite shocking. Uh, you know, after you've seen so many scenes of uh, Super Mario Nation heroes racing to save planes, now we have uh, have this deliberate sabotage.
3: by for emergency landing. Roger, Alpha X Ray One Four Zero.
4: That presumably is the same airport control tower set that they were using, I think as far back as Thunderbirds. You can always recognize the shape of the windows and, if the shot is zoomed out far enough, the shape of the walls. Uh, so Father Anwin has now arrived at Oakington Airport. No, he hasn't. That's the police car with Father Unwin. Uh, this is where Matthew's sabotage is going to cause the plane to divert to.
3: Whatever it was you're supposed to be on time for, sir. And thank you again, officer. I'll mention your cooperation to the bishop.
4: Ah, and he will as well. Just not the bishop that he's thinking of. So with two engines out of action, the plane carrying the Dreisenberg ambassador and the stolen computer is heading back to Oakington Airport. That's a nice shot. Again, I'm kind of feeling like I might be about to contradict what I said earlier about how good the live action exterior stuff looks. Um, this doesn't quite doesn't quite click with the live action shots of the airport. I don't know. I think either you had to go full live action or full puppet.
3: I did the two engines
4: Oh, that's a, this is a really good performance from David Healy, actually.
3: Your contact with London Airport, Your Excellency. They have radioed the local police, and their car will be here to pick us up at any moment. Mm.
4: But in the meantime, there is a, uh, a clergyman outside with a shrinking ray.
3: You can ray. come out now. Well done. Here I come. Whee.
4: <laughs> that's a nice shot.
3: I say, anyone aboard? That must be the police now. What about the computer? Don't panic. Remember, we've got diplomatic immunity. Quick, get me back to normal size. They may be armed. No, Matthew, we'll do it my way. Keep out of sight. (laughs)
4: Because that's worked so well so far.
3: And this is a police car? Are you the ambassador of Dreisenberg?
4: I do like with this show, though, the fact that Unwin's plans never seem to backfire or fail. He's always got the Lord on his side. Uh, he never really gets threatened all that much. That's an interesting shot, because that's suddenly not David Healy doing the voice of the, uh, the ambassador as he shrinks. I'm not keen on the whole hand-waving as he goes down, though. I guess he, he has to do some kind of reaction, but...
3: You'd like to get your hands on, and diplomatic immunity yes. won't save you this time. Well, don't
4: just stand there, do something. <laughs> I suppose as well there's the temptation to take the puppets and, as we've seen over the years with the, the other Super Mario Nation shows, do the shrinking episode. I suppose to a certain extent that would have appealed to to the Andersons and, and so on because it would have been cheaper to, to shoot in the real world. I'm, I'm sure that is one of the what they must have considered be the strengths of this show. The
3: are arriving at any moment. I suggest
4: I do love watching him push the case out though. He doesn't even he doesn't even deny it. His assistants doing all the denying. But there we go. Unwin's got what he wants. So we'll return the ambassador to normal and everything's fine. Unwin departs as the police arrive. These cars suddenly look very small.
3: (laughs) Are you the ambassador of Dreisenberg? I am.
4: Again, that's not David Healy. I love that that line, just, Are you the ambassador? Or is that that other plane over there? I want that computer. Ah, poor policeman. Yes, he's been uh, freed of his car now. Unwin is off home with the computer. The ambassador is not going to let it go so easily.
3: Thanks to your minimiser, Father. Thanks to the late Professor Humbert's Minimizer.
4: Yeah, again, that's the only concession they make to explaining what on earth the Minimizer even is. Father, it's
3: the ambassador and his aide. They must have stolen the police car. This
4: is all great stuff, this chase scene. And in fact, I think we've covered this on a previous Fab Fact. This is how they wanted to open this episode with just this preview of a scene from later in the story Uh, and the idea was to hook viewers by making them think oh why is this uh, police car chasing a parish priest why are they shooting at each other I'm gonna have to keep watching this to find out Uh, I'm glad they didn't go that route Uh, and to be fair you know a lot of the pre-title sequences for this show they aren't the most exciting but they do at least set up the story Whereas, yeah, I think there probably would have been a, a certain element of repetition which might have alienated viewers even more. I mean, particularly when you uh, come to us now re-watching this show on, on DVD and I nearly said Blu-ray but we haven't got those have we? Oh, that was close. You nearly hit that farmer. Yes, uh, on rewatching I think the, the teasers would have become very boring if if they'd done that, so I'm glad they didn't. Are there any of you out there watching this who... Uh, oh, it's a nice stunt driving there. Who saw this on first broadcast? Were you lucky enough to, to live in one of those two or three regions that actually got this back in the day? Uh, and if so, what did you think of it? Were you... Because there was, they were releasing Secret Service merchandise in parts of the country that had never even seen the show which, I mean, these days, it's, it's unthinkable. But in those days, it was, you know, would really be common practice. Some regions got certain shows and, and some didn't.
3: I wish you thought I was right about Matthew.
4: Another element that is not explained in the series, uh, Mrs. Appleby's loathing of Matthew. Uh, again, not explained on the show, but it is explained in this rather wonderful book. Uh, It's in the the first uh, comic strip here. That'll that'll explain everything for you. Um, I kind of wish they dramatized that to be honest. There's Captain Magenta Uh, and I suspect who else is in the audience there? Yes I think that's uh, Mrs. Harris from Joe 90. That also looks a lot like Sam Louvre sat next to her. And possibly the woman in front is Rhapsody Angel. That might even be uh, Shane Weston, too. bring
3: the maximum good to mankind that I can...
4: This is nice, though.
3: That's something we should all try to
4: do. I do like the way they end some of these episodes with the sermons. And actually, I I was... I was... I discovered recently... We don't discover what the sermon is. Uh, Yeah, I discovered recently, I, I thought most episodes ended with that sermon, or a sermon. But very few of them do. It's less than half, which surprised me. So there we go. That was the first episode of The Secret Service. It explained nothing. <laughs> uh, but you know, this show isn't about explaining things. This show is, has always been about uh, just creating a really nice vibe. A nice happy little 25 minutes in a world that, that never was but that you kind of wish, wish was. It's like um, Avengerland in that sense. Uh, Secret Service I want to say land, Secret Service on Thames. Let's say, ah, uh, yeah, it's it's not the greatest episode of the series by a long chalk. It's just a, a pleasant introduction to the series. See, even even the first episodes of the previous shows they throw a lot of spectacle uh, into the the first story. This doesn't, uh, and I kind of respect it for that in a way that they don't go all out, look at this, look at what we can do. But at the same time, I suspect that might have have worked against the show long-term, if indeed there really was a long-term ever on the cards for the Secret Service, because as we all know, it sadly wasn't to be a very long-lived
1: show. That was me singing the... Um, oh, was thing. it? I wasn't singing it. I was, no. I was just saying it. Yeah, yeah.
0: there we go. Secret first service. episode. Very Secret sweet. Service. Yeah.
1: What do you think
0: people thought when they saw the first... Oh, there's a new Jerry Anderson series on Saturday night. I'm going to give that a watch. It's called Secret Service. That looks good. I, I fear they would have the... thought...
1: Yeah, yeah. What on earth is this? <laughs> Well, maybe they were thinking, oh, I love
0: Jerry Answer yeah. stuff. Oh,
1: I love Stanley Unwin. This yeah. would be a match made in heaven. Uh, oh, right.
0: <laughs> in the heavenly mode. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I mean, I'm, if they stuck with it, though. I know. I
1: just think people must have been confused by it. Probably.
0: Yes. But maybe if they stuck with it, they probably fell in love with it like many people did. Maybe. And talk about it even today. Well, we're doing right now. Are, and Chris are. did it just then. Yes, indeed. Uh, great. Yeah, we'd love to see the Secret Service on the randomizer What will it be next week? Well, we don't know because it's random. Ah. Uh, see. See, we did that. And that's why it's called the randomizer brilliant
1: right yeah Got you, you really are yeah, as smart it. as you look Absolutely.
0: Aren't you? <laughs> I'll do that one uh, so anyway uh, all for now join us next week pod 296, 296 of the Jerry, Jerry Anderson, Anderson podcast. podcast Six, seven, eight, and 9 we'll be doing next time and then after that
1: pod 300 <laughs> yes right. who knows what special treats we might have or none at all or none at all depends yeah. how it goes alright anyway see you next week for more special treats mm. see you then bye goodbye
3: Let's get started. Let's go.
4: Spectrum is green.
1: Have you got a backup special treat if we cock up the main special treat? No, brilliant. Well, we're just going to be back here for three hundred. Yeah. the Usual nonsense. Yeah.
0: What better way to celebrate three hundred podcasts than just doing it the same old way? Right.
1: Why not? Yeah.
0: So no, no other plans.
1: Imagine anniversaries around your house are great. I mean, for I them. might
0: bring a cake or something.
1: A cake? Yeah. Just for yourself. Yeah. A French fancy. It. Oh,
0: I don't like French fancy. Do you not? No. What's sweet. wrong with
3: a
1: French fancy? No, I
0: would probably go for a Tunnock's tea cake. Ah, oh, OK. Oh. Now you're talking.
1: Is that a cake, though, officially? Oh, cu- it's called cake, but then Jaffa Cakes. That's we should the, have it. asked. These are the questions that Chris oh. should have asked David K. Barnes. Yeah, it's the old cake and biscuit thing in the BAT, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Gosh. Well, we tackle all manner of things here on the podcast, we'll don't know. we? So. Yeah, we do. Uh, biscuit? Cake. Oh.
0: That was an Anderson Entertainment production.